welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. So today I'm super excited, super excited because we have with us Bryony May. Um, and I'm sure you all know who Bryony May is, but if you don't, um, she was the semi-finalist of the Great British Bake Off in 2018, the winner of the Great Christmas Bake Off in 2019. She's been a uh, TV presenter on um, Food Unwrapped. Um, last week I saw her talking about mushy peas. <laughs> so, um, she's also gonna, she's, you're gonna be on Celebrity Mastermind, aren't you? I am, uh, yes. Yes, and you're about to record some episode with um, Hendley uh, uh, Food We Love, yeah? Yeah. And that'll be out in April. Yeah. So, Obviously, Bryony, a very warm welcome. Hello. <laughs> so, first of all, do you want to tell people how we met? Yeah. About that, you just on my podcast. Yeah. Just, just random. Random. Well, yeah, we were just saying we've known each other for 20 years now, which is mad. Um, so, you used to work with my lovely mum at UE, UWE in Bristol. Um, and I'd come up um, to work. Um, I'd always come up after school to work and I'd, I'd sort of see you then or, you know, while I was at uni, I'd come and use the library at UE during the holidays. And, you know, I've just, yeah, it just feels like I've known you forever. So since my teens, really, and now I'm 36. Um, and I used to babysit your boys. Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, yeah, a lifetime, really two decades yes and your brother lived in our flat when we oh, yeah. when we moved to France for a little bit before we yeah. had the boys so yeah, yeah of course was that Ben Ben did Ben yeah, do that ben. yeah Ben yeah so yeah it's, yeah and you've been friends with, with my mum for a long time mm -hmm. yes we work together um so yes it, it, and it's been um, absolutely fantastic watching you uh, get to where you are now and fully deserved so you know it just really warms my heart and I'm just delighted um, so you know the, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about is can you talk us through your journey so before we started recording I said to you that in a lot of my research what I see from young people is young people say you know they want to have a sense of purpose they want to know what they're going to be doing uh, from like 15 when mm. they start thinking in terms of you know their, their studies and, and 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 to some extent the system suggests that that's what they should be doing too right yeah so have you always known that you'll you'd end up being the influencer sort of presenter you are right now absolutely not <laughs> No, so I, when I was 15, all I knew is that I loved languages. 
Um, I've always loved languages, French and Spanish in particular. Um, and going on to A-level, I did Latin, French, Spanish, and then did a couple of GCSEs on the side, like Italian and, and Japanese. Well, that's all I knew. I didn't know what I wanted to do with them, but I knew that's what I loved. So, um, so I decided I wanted to go to university and study languages. And even throughout all of uni, I still had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so went traveling after uni, still no idea what I wanted to do with my life when I got back. Um, <laughs> uh, got back from traveling and felt very lost, very lost. Because um, I didn't, I just honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I had an interview with DCHQ um, and, you know, interviews for sort of... Um, uh, graduate schemes for different places and I'd go to you know um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for you know the fairs where you go and everyone tries to mm. recruit, recruitment mm. fairs job yeah. fairs and I just nothing really fitted um, and then one of my someone in my family said have you thought about teaching because you know it, you could really enjoy it and I was like you know let's have a think about it and I started the application process and the longer the more the application process went on the more I thought actually this could be really good and I get to use my languages which for me was the key part I was like I don't want to stop using using my languages whatever job I end up in so yeah and then I got the, the place on the PGC at Bristol and I just loved it I had such an amazing year doing my my teaching qualification um and I loved being with young people every day it just made each day so interesting and I really felt like okay I found I found it now I find what I want to do but I was what 25 at this point mm. so you know it, it took me a, a while to get there um so so yeah so I went into teaching and then I got a job at a lovely boys school in Bristol called QEH um was my first job so I was spoiled rotten from my first job really because <laughs> Yes, um, amazing. Yes, <laughs> it was. It's, you know, I did my um, my teacher training in um, some slightly more challenging schools, and then I went to QEH, and I was like, "What is this world?" You know, it's like you like walking into Hogwarts. It's a beautiful place, and the boys were so lovely. They'd hold open the doors for you and say thank you at the end of the lesson. I mean, there were still challenges. It's still a group of teenage boys, but it wasn't the same sort of challenges you'd find, obviously, in a in a state school um and I loved it I absolutely loved working there it was it was just heaven I mean I loved you know every day uh, I got to teach languages to mostly kids who wanted to learn um you know I often ended up with the um sort of because everyone had to do a uh, language GCSE at QEH and I would often end up with sort of the lower end of the of the level of of you know ability um, because I, I've got such an enthusiasm for languages, I just, it, it seemed to work really well with, with boys who didn't really like languages or just thought they were rubbish at them. You know, it seemed to work well to try and encourage them and kind of get them out of their shell, you know, and, and boys who would come in year 10 expecting a D or an E would end up with a B, which for me is, you know, was just the biggest achievement because even though, you know, you had boys getting like top A stars, for those boys who ended up with that B or a C instead of a D or an E, you know, that was huge. And, and I loved that part. I loved sort of bringing that out of them and, and helping them see that they could do it. You know, it's not about, oh, I'm rubbish at languages. Well, yeah, OK, you might not be particularly strong in languages, but you can still do it. You've just got to figure out your way of doing it. And that's what I loved about teaching. It was it was great. And then then I had Nora, my daughter. 
I had her in 2015 um, and I never planned on stopping working because I'm, I've always been really ambitious, you know, I wanted to be, you know, work my way up the, the ladder, you know, be head of department, you know, deputy head, all that kind of stuff, that was my plan. And then I had Nora and I just completely fell in love with her and just couldn't imagine not being with her. Mm. Um, so when she was about three months old, I woke Steve up, my husband, in the middle of the night and I was like, I don't want to go back to work. And he was like, OK, <laughs> can we not talk about this in the morning? I was like, I need to tell you now. So by the time me and Nora were up in the morning, he'd already had a spreadsheet all planned out. He's a software engineer, so he's a computer nerd. And uh, he, had a, he had a spreadsheet ready to go and he was like, right, we can do it. If you want to stop work, you know, we'll have to make some changes, but, you know, you can do it. So, so I didn't go back to work then and, and giving up the job at QEH was huge because it was my perfect job. Um, and I loved it and it was really hard, but I just knew that I wanted to be at home with Nora at that time. And obviously, like if I hadn't given up my job with QEH and been at home with Nora, you know, the bake off sort of might not have happened. So it's kind of one of those things you never know, like where your life's going to take you and which decision can then sort of change that path. Um, I mean, I actually went back to I think I'd been off work I think I'd been away for six months and they were like oh someone's having a baby can you come back and cover some maternity leave so I was like all <laughs> oh, right okay I'm not really leaving am I <laughs> um so yeah I was back within six months doing like three days a week for a couple of terms which was nice um the uh, languages department was always very fertile so someone was having a baby at one point or another <laughs> um so that was really cool. And actually I was, I was doing my, um, doing that cover for maternity whilst I was applying for Bake Off. Um, so, so yeah. And then, 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 yeah. So when uh, Bake Off kind of happened very randomly, it was, I was watching, I've always been a big fan of Bake Off. So I'd watch it avidly. And then it was after the semi-finals in 2017, you know, Noel's voice comes on going, do you think you could be on next year's Bake Off? And I was thinking, well, not really, but, you know, I'll send off, I'll send off an application and see what happens. Um, because I, you know, I, I started baking in about 2013 properly and I was mainly cakes, but did dabbled in a few other things. Um, so, and people said, oh, you should apply, you should apply. I was like, oh no, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You know, I haven't got the skills, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, okay, I'll send off this application, never hear anything back. And then a few weeks later, um, I was getting all these missed calls from London and I was convinced it was PPI, so I didn't answer. I <laughs> <laughs> <Love it. laughs> oh, very persistent. Go away, I haven't got any PPI. Um, and then I listened to the answering message at mum's house and uh, and it was like, oh, hi, it's Frankie from Bake Off. Do you think maybe you could give us a call back? I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I called them back straight away. They were like, oh, we were just about to give up on you. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So listen to your answering messages, people. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so then I went through the application process and I never at any point genuinely thought I'd get on. But I, at every, because the application process is a long old process, about six months. You know, there's the online application, there's phone calls. You've got to send them pictures of your bakes. Then there's a, a, a regional audition, which is two parts. And then there's a London audition. And then there's, um, uh, you have to chat to a psychologist to check your, you know, you can cope with the pressure and that you're not completely mental. Um, and then you've got to talk to people in the press. So like the, the press off, uh, the 
you know the people who were I can't remember what their, their official title was but they basically had to check what skeletons you had in your closet that would come out or could come out um and whether it was manageable or not um so luckily I've had a very very beige life, <laughs> life so there were no crazy skeletons in my closet um and and yeah and then once you get through all that and then they said they'd call by five o'clock on the Friday and they called at half past four um on the Friday so I was like I was by that point I was convinced I hadn't got it I was thinking okay that's fine and but I, I was I was like right I'll definitely apply next year you know it's been so much fun the audition process I've had such a good time my baking actually got so much better in those six months because I was trying so many different things and then yeah they called and they were like I was in the car with mum picking up Nora from my in-laws and uh yeah they were like oh we've got good news and me and my mum were just screaming in the car you know just like oh my god oh my god I couldn't believe it and then that night Steve and I went out for cocktails to celebrate and then they sent the first recipe request through so we were just sat there sort of you know trying to think about ideas for what I could do and and still just couldn't believe that it was happening and and yeah so it it was amazing the whole process was wonderful it was really creative it was intense um but I loved loved it in that tent I was so just in a, such a good place um you know it really brought out the best in me I think because you know there was a lot of times where things would have gone wrong and it was so easy just to think I'll just give up now um and then but you'd really have to kind of build yourself back up quite quickly and be like right come on let's go let's do this time you know you can't give up this is the bake-off for god's sake this is only a once in a lifetime opportunity um and every week I was still there I was like I'm still here how am I still here and I got all the way to the semi-finals and then I was like, oh, wow. Um, and when I went out in the semi-finals, I was actually really okay with it because I was knackered. <laughs> I can imagine. Absolutely exhausted. I had a chest infection. I was so tired. Um, and I knew because it the, the first day was okay, but then the showstopper, it was literally sort of hour by hour, it just got worse and worse. And I knew I was going home and I thought, that's fine. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I've come to terms with it. And um, one of the, it was in between, um, so it was after the judging, I think, so I knew it was bad. And then before they told us who was going home and we, I was just sat chatting to one of the crew members. And they were like, but what if you do get through to the final? <laughs> and apparently the look on my face was just pure fear. <laughs> like, like, no, no, I can't do it. I've not got anything left. Um, so when they announced my name, I was actually quite calm. I was okay with it. I never expected to get through week one, let alone get to week nine. Um, and I just had the time of my life. It'd been so stressful, but just amazing. I'd met these incredible people, made friends for life, you know, had an experience that, you know, was just a once in a lifetime. Um, and then getting to go back the next year to do the Christmas one and win that, that was pretty cool. Um, mm. And I think part of the reason why, oh, oh, hang on, sorry, that's my, <laughs> my Netflix has come on for some reason. Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, we can have Netflix in the in the yeah. mix. This is but you know what, right? This is perfect because <laughs> you know that illustrates what I'm trying to do with this podcast, right? Which I was saying to you before we we started our conversation that it's 
you know imperfectly perfect conversations just yeah. like life is so you know showing that things happen and yeah. that you know you can't control everything and you know I'm recording this from my office you're recording this in your house in, yeah. during lockdown um and we don't have a recording studio I haven't no. got that so it it's it's perfect thank you <laughs> <laughs> right at any point like uh you know Nora will come running down wanting to tell me something or you know it's I was doing I was I was doing um because um over lockdown I'm doing these bake-alongs with with kids and I was on BBC Points West and ITV News and each time I had Nora next to me (laughs) trying to sort of like tell people about it and honestly having a five-year-old trying to do an interview on the news channel is just absolutely she was like pushing my face she was getting right up into the camera (laughs) I was like this is it though this is this is my life like this is just what it is yeah and it's great because it's not, you know, it's relatable. Painted. Yes, and it's you know, not, is... it's not, you know, glossed no. over or you know, like sometimes you know you see some of the interviews in those magazines, uh, yeah. you know, where people look all like. That's what I love is that you know, like on the Wednesday, you know, do this these lives like you did it with with uh, Andy yeah and dinosaurs last week last yeah. week on Wednesday didn't you yeah um, and and that is that that is I think that's what makes you so so amazingly lovable and you know so enjoyable to watch is because of that sort of amazing big like you have. I think well I think that you know even like from the, the first time I stepped in the tent I was like I'm only ever going to be me because if people don't like me, there's not a lot I can do about it. And I just wanted to be myself and just be who I am and just enjoy it, you know? And, and I've tried to carry that on, like even through my Instagram, um, my Instagram is very unpolished, (laughs) very, um, you know, a lot of people curate their Instagrams to make them look perfect. Mine is not that mine's just my brain on a page. And I think a lot of people relate to that because you know, life isn't perfect. I'm not perfect by any means. You know, I just get by and do what what I can. Um, and I've always sort of tried to stick by that. And I think I always, well, I, I want to always stick by that. It just show that it's, you know, life isn't all glossy and, and perfect. And yeah, Nora's amazing, but she's still a five-year-old kid and will be a nightmare at times, you know? <laughs> like any child. Like any child. Um, I think it's important that that's out there on on things like Instagram and and you know other social medias because you get so many perfectly looking you know pictures thrown at you all the time you start to think well what my life doesn't look like that you know but I think that's something that's changing actually with what I've seen in the last couple of years on Instagram is that people are starting to be a little bit more real or you can find it at least you know there's still people trying to put out that idea of perfection um, but there's a lot more people who are putting out that idea of just re- just being real. You know, people like Giovanna Fletcher, who's amazing. You know, she's just a mum. She puts her stuff out there. You know, she won. I'm a celeb, but she's still exactly the same. You know, got three boys at home. You know, life's all up in the air and, and don't know what they're doing. And, and I think that's incredibly important, like you say, to show that, you know, no one's perfect. That doesn't exist, that that image of perfection. And, and if, it, if it does, it's probably been heavily filtered. Yes, yes, through lovely social media and yeah. technology. Yes, I yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know the thing is that that perfection or that idea of perfectionism 
is actually at the base of in my research you know all of the students who are languishing or are really having issues with their mental health is because you know is that intense competitiveness that leads to you know need for perfectionism fear of failure um and and therefore you know imposter syndrome all of those things yeah. so what you're doing as a as as an influencer and you know in in the work you're doing is fantastic because it's about you know being yeah, I wrote down being me mm. um, and I wonder whether you can so listening to your story and from you know going from uh, doing loving languages and then you know doing your PGC and teaching in QEH and um, and from being very lost to being me okay mm. what I can see through that story is always like almost following intuition or not intuition yeah. knowing what feels right inspiration yeah, yeah. um with that oh, but also trusting that okay this feels right so i'm going to do this not knowing always not knowing what's gonna unfold it does yeah, definitely true yeah for sure yeah and i think you know you touched on it there that fear of failure you know that can be really overpowering a lot you know throughout life and i still have that now but i think something that for me is you've just got to go for it I think having that you know if if you think oh I'd really love to, to try this and see if it could be you know this could be where my life's going or even over the next year or so or the next month if you think that this could be something that would work for you just try it like if I'd never sent off that application for Bake Off because I never thought that I was I've, I've I still don't really think that I was good enough to be on Bake Off you know even now having gone through it all um, I still don't think that now and and I didn't think that at the time but because I sent off that application and you know just threw my name in the in the hat and just said you know well you know let's see what happens um, you know the same as when I applied for my PGCE I didn't necessarily think that I'd get a place but I thought right I'm going to really sort of sort of put my all into it I think that's it as well is is not just going oh yeah maybe I might try you know I'll put my name in the hat and then forget about it it's like put my name in the hat and then I'm going to work my backside off to see if I can get there and if I can't it's not the end of the world you know we'll, we'll go a different way but you know once I'd sent off my PGC application you know I worked really really hard to get to that point and then during my teacher training I worked really really hard to make sure that I became the best possible teacher that I could be and same with Bake Off, once I sent off that application and the, pro the audition process started, I mean, I did not stop baking for, like, for months and months and months. Um, and because I, you know, and Steve, my husband and I talked about it and he said, look, you've got to give it your all because this is a once in a lifetime thing. And, and you know, the same with so many opportunities that come by in life, you know, yeah, OK, you might be nervous about failing or absolutely terrified, um, but if you don't try and don't give it your all you're never going to know like you really really are never going to know um and I never in a million years thought I'd be where I am now from going on bake-off but again just just trying and just giving it a shot mm. you know and doing my best at giving it a shot has meant that you know other opportunities have, have come from it which is just wonderful and very unexpected but but great <laughs> yeah fantastic and and I'm sure there's much more to come as well. So that's like really exciting. <laughs> so going back to that idea of being me. Yeah. Right? Um, you're a mum. 
I am. You're also a daughter. We mentioned your lovely uh, mother, Colleen. Um, You know, you're also a wife and you're a baker and you're, you know, uh, the winner of the the great Christmas bake-off, all of those things. So all of those are different. You know, I call them hats or, you know, um, it's masks that we wear. Um, And sometimes it's a little bit challenging to wear all of those um so can you talk us through that how do you manage all those different hats I mean you sort of hinted with the interviews with with BBC Points West and and Nora just rocking up um but you know how what advice do you have for for our listeners in terms of you know being me handling all of those different identities and and masks to 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 be as authentical and and real as possible yeah gosh yeah I mean it it is hard sometimes because you know I mean especially as a mother I think you know you're always striving to be you know the perfect mum you know have I done this have I done that have I fed her properly have I you know am I doing especially at the minute am I doing homeschooling right you know um, I think as mothers or parents, even, you know, there's that constant mum guilt that you're not doing something like you're not spending enough time with them or you're spending too much time with them. You know, am I spoiling them? Am I not giving them enough? It's a constant battle in your head. Um, and I think, you know, that's for me, the hardest thing to balance is, is motherhood alongside the other things. Um, because I want to show Nora that if you want to do something, you absolutely can and you can be you know, a mum, a wife, a, you know, successful um, career person, whatever you choose to do. Um, and you can still, you know, see your friends and enjoy life. And and I think what part of it for me is that Nora is very much a part of our world. I know that sounds silly, but like, you know, when she came into our lives, um, she became part of our lives as opposed to us kind of revolving everything around her. So, you know, we've, you know, she has... Oh, it's just really hard to explain but she like we you know we do a lot of stuff together um you know like go out for dog walks or you know play together or you know cook together or you know things like that and and I think that is is really important having that time well spent together but that's e- I mean it's easy to say that when you can manage it but sometimes life gets so hectic no- normally if I'm filming and I'm away for a week at a time um and you know I've I've not been there at all and Steve's taken it all on himself the overwhelming guilt is just too much but then when I come back I just try and make that extra effort to spend time with her and to connect with her um because I do find if I do spend too much time away you do lose that that closeness and that connection um it's not beating yourself up about it I think that's one thing that we do constantly as women as parents in particular, I find that we're constantly having a go at ourselves about something. So I think trying to take that out of it, like you can't be perfect. You know, you can't do everything all of the time because that's just impossible, Um, especially at the minute, you know, trying to work, trying to homeschool, trying to, you know, keep your house up together. Yeah. Not. Um, (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, like it's you know you can't do it you're only human and you have to allow yourself to be okay with that and I think that is one of the hardest things that we that we do is just to say it's okay that I'm doing this 
it's okay that I'm a bit stressed um, because my child is alive. Um, she's fed. She's emotionally, you know, okay. It's okay if we didn't complete all the schoolwork today, that's okay. Just don't beat yourself up about it. But that is something that we do constantly is just, you know, oh, I'm, not, I'm not doing everything perfectly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just think, I'm, I mean, I, I wing it, let's be honest. I just, if, if my, my, my main thing is if I look around at the people around me and they're happy, then that's great. That means that, you know, something's right. You know, if I look at Steve and Nora and they're happy and my mum and my friends, you know, then something's going right. And, you know, if I look at my, my month and I think, well, I haven't seen my friends all month, then something's not quite balanced there and I need to make more of an effort next month to see them. So that was very rambly sorry but yeah I just no it's, it's it's awesome and and again you know it's like it's how how we do life and how we talk about things right and yeah uh, and it's just so you know everyone does something differently and mm. a, an amazing bit of advice that someone gave me once was if it's not a problem for you then it's not a problem and she was talking about it um in terms of parenting so like if you're you know if your kid is still sleeping in your bed you know as a toddler is it a problem for you? No, then it's not a problem. You know, just because someone else might perceive that as not being the right thing to do, you know, it's if it's not causing you a great problem or, you know, not causing your child great harm, then just don't worry about it. Like, oh, you're still on mute. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and the, I think that the only problem with that is, you know, our society we have standards, right? In terms mm. of culture and in terms of what we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And, yeah. and you know, the other thing that I've noticed a lot in, in my research is this need from for, for students, but I think it's true for every single human being um, with the imposter syndrome is that comparatitis. So this constant need to compare yourself to others yeah. very often in a negative way. Oh yeah. Um, and looking at others, thinking well they're doing better than I am or you know whatever so you know from your your perspective how does that play out and how do you handle that those aspects because in your industry yeah it's it's, it's massive right yeah in your industries you've got there's so many yeah, <laughs> in yeah, room, yeah. So. I mean yeah absolutely I think that's that's huge and especially I think in today's world with social media the idea that you have to compare yourself to other people um, is huge. I mean, it's massive and it's so awful that people should feel the need to do this. Um, for me, I, you know, I try not to compare myself to others. I mean, it happens because that's just the way the world works. You know, I might look at other people um, who were on Bake Off with me and I think oh are they you know are they doing better they've got more social media followers than me so maybe I should be doing something different blah, blah, blah. and I just have to talk myself down and say no you know they're different to me you know I can't compare myself with them because they're a completely different person you know they've got different goals different aspirations you know different personalities different lives um, and also what we must all remember is what you see on social media and on the outside of someone's life is not what is going on behind the scenes. Like genuinely, yes, yes. don't believe it. It's a load of bull, honestly. Like I know, I know people who, 
you know, might be going through some real, you know, trouble at home, having real issues. And on their social media, everything is perfect. You know, they're just such a wonderful life and they're perfect children. No, it's not true. And like, you know, I, you know, on the outside, I seem like a constantly positive and bubbly person. On the inside, I'm dealing with depression and anxiety. You know, I have a constant, you know, it's a constant daily battle for me. Um, but, and I, I am open with that, I don't hide that, you know, I've put that on social media, but just because someone is okay on the outside and putting on a big smile and being okay and everything's great, love's perfect, does not mean that that's what's going on inside or, you know, on the other side of the camera because it's just not the case. Um, and for me, realizing that was a massive game changer, you know, really sort of looking and thinking, actually, that's, that's not what it seems especially on social media, you have to be so careful. I mean, I know I joke about filters, but good God, the things you can do to your face and your body on social media these days completely change it from what it normally is. Yeah. You know, like, it's just mad. Um, so I think, you know, once you realise that, you know, especially as someone like now, like, a, you know, someone, a student now, what they must have to deal with on a daily basis in terms of you know, social media and all these images coming at you all the time, is that what you're seeing is not always, or in fact, most of the time, not what is actually true or, you know, true behind the scenes. So I think once you realise that and really accept that, that takes a lot of the pressure off because you're like, okay, mm, you know, yes. just because they seem perfect doesn't mean that they actually yeah. are. Yeah. And so you know would you be okay to talk to us about that aspect of you know so you mentioned it that you know when you finished your studies you, you were really lost and you went yeah. traveling and you didn't know what you wanted to do so that might resonate with a lot of our listeners you know whether their parents or the, the young people themselves yeah. um, you know the fact that you you openly you know talk about the fact that you've had to, to handle depression so can you tell us about you know or give us tips advice on you know how best to to handle those situations those hard times mm -hmm. and and what does you know how do you look after your your well-being so that you are well and you know you, yeah. you, you you've you're you're better you know when you you're feeling a bit low for example yeah I yeah because I think my I mean my depression is definitely sort of come down from like my mum's always had depression and you know it comes down in a long a long line and there's never ever been anything for me specifically that triggers it it's just kind of there it's more of like just a chemical imbalance in my brain it is what it is um you know I've got a lovely life you know I love my you know I love where I am in my life you know I've got lovely friends and family there's no reason for me to feel depressed but sometimes it just happens um and I think it sort of started around about university time of me being more aware of it and I wish, I wish I'd discovered how good exercise is at university. <laughs> I literally, I mean, my spare time at university was spent in the bar having a grand old time. And don't get me wrong, I had a great time. But I wish I'd put some time into, you know, getting outside, getting some fresh air, running, you know, or just walking and just actually exercising. Because that can make just the biggest change to your mental health for me. You know, if I don't exercise, then my mental health is hugely affected. Um, you know, if I go a couple of weeks without going for a run, my mood will be low. I can guarantee it because I haven't, 
you know, it just really helps me to manage it on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think that feeling of being lost is so common, especially sort of, you know, maybe at university or just after university, that feeling of, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, especially at the minute, the world that we're living in, blooming global pandemic. I mean, I yeah. can't even imagine how students must be feeling at the minute. It's, it's just awful. But I think the main thing, the main bit of advice is talk about it. Don't sit in silence and suffer. You know, even if you don't want to talk about it to your friends or your family, there's so many services out there, you know, that you can call up and talk to someone um, or reach out to someone, you know, that that you think, oh, they might be able to talk to me. Like I get a lot of people um, messaging me on Instagram saying, oh, I'm really struggling at the minute with my, because I've got um, a limb difference. I've got no fingers on my left hand. They'll reach out to me and say, oh, I'm really struggling at the minute with my, um, uh, with my self-esteem, you know, I just really need a bit of help and I'll just sort of, you know, message back and forth for a bit and, you know, just reach out to someone because the likelihood is, is you'll talk to one of your friends and they'll go, oh my God, I know I feel exactly the same, you know, and you're both feeling that way, but you've not really talked about it. Um, so I think, you know, open up to people, you know, the worst thing you can do is keep it all bottled inside. And I know it's a cliche, but it's true. Um, and if you actually open up and talk to people, you know, if, if you're at uni, talk to your, you know, talk to the people who are there, your tutors or, you know, um, an adult that you trust um, or talk to your peers, talk to your friends, you know, find someone who will listen to you. Um, because and if and if you don't have that open to you, you know, talk to your family or your friends from home. And again, if that isn't there, talk to, you know, look online, look at the resources that are out there, you know, Mind um, are an amazing charity that you can talk to. There's, you know, there's so many Samaritans, you know, it's, there's so much access now to help that you don't have, you genuinely don't have to suffer in silence on your own. No, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I think, so, so, you know, I, I love the fact that you know you were sort of explaining about your your depression or you know what you you suffer from is more from a genetic yeah viewpoint um where are other people we might be triggered by external mm. situations so each situation is very different um but one of the thing i love about you and your family um is the is the values you have as a as a family so you were saying you know Nora um you know is very much part of our world um having watched your mum with you and your brothers when you were teenagers <laughs> it feels to me that it's very much that that same yeah. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so I'm a great believer that as parents we bring in our values and our beliefs so for example you know being French I raised my children uh, speaking French at home so they're you know half French half English and so they have a lot of that French heritage you know and I see that compared to some of their friends who are you know really just British yeah <laughs> um, and their views you know like their views on food and things like that um, so what do you think in terms of you know so first of all can you share your your family values so for me looking from the outside in it's about love it's about care it's about compassion you know um i i obviously your your nana passed away she was an amazing formidable lady she was um 
and I absolutely love your mum to bits. Um, so, and I think you all had those values. So can mm. you talk talk to that as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I adore my family. I, like, I feel very, very lucky um, that I don't just love them. I really like them. <laughs> um, so, you know, my mum has been my best friend, you know, since my early teens. I tell her everything. Um, and because my parents separated when I was eight, it was all very amicable, you know, no bad feelings or whatever, but my parents separated when I was eight. And I think that was, I think because of that, me and mum were even closer maybe than we would have been um, had they stayed together. But she's she's an amazing woman, my mum, because she just loves, you know, she, she's always showered us in so much love. Um, you know she still disciplined us you know we didn't get away with anything but she just showed us all this so much love you know really is sort of that you know unconditional love that you, you have for your children um and we really felt that growing up and you know we can never lie to her because she knew she she could always tell literally even <laughs> as, even as you started saying it she'd be like you're lying and you're like oh god how do you know i think because we were all so close and because she showed us a lot of trust um there if we tried to lie to her she was like mm -mm, uh -uh, I know um but that meant you know and also because we didn't lie to her very much because we didn't want to because it was a very open household our house was always the house where all of our friends would be there you know loads of my friends had keys they'd let themselves in even when we weren't there you know it, it was a very open so mum didn't only show us love she would show all my friends all our friends love as well and they were always very welcome and it always just felt like such a, a, a kind loving place my home and now I want that I want my house to be that you know and I want it to be full of love and um and I, I something about Nora I mean Nora's a very loving child you know she's so cuddly and you know always tells us that she um, that she loves us and but that again comes from my mum like mum and I say I love you all the time um, and then you know now I say it to Nora all the time and and she says it back sort of spread like randomly she just go mummy yeah I love you you know it's just really sort of that very kind of very sweet but that's what my mum used to do with us she'd be like you know I love you you know really sort of openly telling us and very sort of you know making sure that we knew how much she loved us and also empathy, I think, is huge um, because I've always thought of myself as being a very empathetic person. And I learned that from my mum. And now Nora, even at five, the empathy that she can show is amazing to her friends if they're upset or even to me, if I get a bit upset, she, you know, she comes and she gives me a cuddle, you know, and she sort of says, are you OK, mummy? You know, and she, she looks after me, you know, and I just think, God, at five years old, that's incredible. Um, and her teachers have noticed it as well. You know, when we get her reports from school, it's like Nora's, you know, so empathetic and so kind. That's the word that keeps coming back as well. Kind. She's a kind little soul. Um, and I like to think of myself as a kind person. And I know my mum is. Um, and that all comes down from my nan, who, you know, she was just the loveliest woman. <laughs> and I think something that we've really realised since she passed away a few months ago is how much of that love, empathy and kindness came from her. And we didn't realise, I don't think, you know, none of us really realised at the time because she was very unassuming, my nan. She was always there in the background, you know. She was always, always around, but is, you know, she she would never sort of put herself upon you. She was just sort of there being kind and loving and, you know, 
she used to do my brother's paper round for him she'd drive him around on his paper round and she'd sit and do my latin homework with me and you know she'd you know randomly slip me 20 quid just because just in case i needed a bit of money or you know and she'd always tell us that she loved us and give us a cuddle and and i and i didn't and i hate the fact that i didn't really put that together until the last few weeks of her life and after she passed just how much of that that love and that kindness and that empathy and that generosity came from her and i think you know looking back now me and mum are both like wow she was such a kind woman she was such a loving woman um and it's 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 sort of mad how you can sometimes only see it after they've gone um which i think probably happens with a lot of people but we always knew she was great we always knew she was lovely but i think when we really sort of you know looked back and thought yeah gosh she was always the first person to make sure you're okay she was always you know there if you needed to talk to her if you know you'd just had a problem of any kind or you know she was just lovely and really mm. accepting and kind and yes. I, we get a lot of values from her very non-judgmental as well yes, exactly that yeah exactly and I think the perfect example of that is we you know we talked a lot about her life in the last few weeks um, before she passed and my uncle Ian who sadly passed he passed in 2013 but he was gay and he came out to Nan when he was in his 20s so this is sort of in the 1970s um, and I said to Nan like what did you think when he came out obviously at that time it was so you know such a taboo and such a you know a negative thing and she said well I didn't care I just told him I loved him <laughs> and I just thought oh you know this 95 year old woman sat here just saying well he was my son I love him I don't I didn't care if he was gay I just wanted him to be happy I mean how much could we all learn from that you know that's it she was so accepting and so non-judgmental um and um you know and I, and I think you know that that, that mum got a lot of that from her and then I've got that from mum and now hopefully Nora's getting that from me you know and it, it it's it's so interesting seeing this kind of generational passing down of, of values um but yeah it's 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 lovely to see that coming out in Nora mm, I love it and your mum gives the best hugs ever. she gives the best hugs do you know what Nora gives amazing hugs and I think that's again come down from like <laughs> she's learned from her, her what do you Nana. what does she call your mum Nana Nana yeah yeah, yeah Nana hugs uh, yeah, mum gives the best hugs. Yeah, she really does. Uh, not in the last year because of bloody COVID. No, obviously, <laughs> yes. <laughs> soon, soon. We oh, you've got the conversation. Ah, wonderful. So we've talked about like the values being, you know, they obviously clearly show, you know, and, and what I loved about watching you doing the, the Great British Bake Off is that because I know I knew you, I could see all of those values, and I'm pretty sure that that's where the public could see, you know, your humour and your your kind message shines. You know, when you're on TV, it just really shines, um, and I love that. I'm sure your mum, your mum must be so proud. She is, bless her. She likes telling everyone. You know, even the person in the Costa drive-through on the day that they announced that it was I was on Bake Off. The uh, yeah, she said, Do "You watch Bake Off?" <laughs> That's the man who was serving her coffee. I wasn't even in the car. Did you watch Bake Off? And he said, "Oh no." She went, "Oh, well, my daughter's on it this year." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Bless her. 
now I'm like beaming with pride at everything Nora does. You know, she got a head teacher's award last week for dressing so well at home. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, you can, you can, I understand now, you know, how proud mum felt. Now I see sort of Nora succeeding and doing wonderful things. It's like, oh. Oh, this is amazing. And you're such a, a fantastic beacon, uh, you know, and an example for, for young people, young women, you know, your daughter. That, that's just fabulous. Thank you. Absolutely fabulous. Um, so I'm conscious that, you know, I've, I've been speaking to you for an hour. I don't know if you like forever. I could speak to you forever. I know, I um, can chat forever. Yeah. Um, I, very often I ask um, people on the podcast if, you know, if you had one thing you would want to leave our listeners with, you know, what would that be? I mean, it doesn't have to be just one thing, but if you had something yeah. to share. I would say um, that always, always just go for it. Even if you think it might not happen, you know, have some faith in yourself that, you know, just put it out there. You don't know, you, you just don't know. So, and if you don't try, then you'll never know. And I'm, you know, don't, you don't ask, you don't get. And that's very much my way way of life now you know um and I think if you don't put yourself out there you're never gonna know and I know it's scary and I still you know have such imposter syndrome like what on earth am I doing on the telly do you know what I mean like what how did that happen and every time I see myself on the tv I just go oh what's going on um you know but you've just got to kind of think no this is my life you know if I'm gonna make stuff happen I've got to give it a try because you never know. If I'd never sent off that application form, none of what has happened would have happened. But just that little bit in my brain said, well, just send it off, you know? Um, so that would be my biggest bit of advice. And, you know, especially to young people, students at the minute, you know, just just have more faith in yourself and, and put yourself out there. And, you know, you, you can do it. There's no reason why you can't. You've just got to, you've just got to give it a try. Yeah, so what I, I say is like courage is knowing what to do and pushing past the fear to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Amazing. Bryony, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's so lovely to chat to you. Thank you for having me on. No, thank you. Thanks for coming to uh, to chat on, on the you know, Flourishing podcast. I've loved every minute and... I wish you and we, you know, everybody wish you, know, we wish you all the best. Thank I have you. no doubt that you will be such a success in whatever you do because, you know, clearly, um, you know, the values you carry and, and you know, the person you are. So thank you for what you do. Oh, thanks, Babs. Keep up the good work. Let's Merci. <laughs> A bientôt. <laughs> flourishing.